0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Well, good morning. Oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, we're cold. We're cold. I do hope you're well this morning. Uh, we started a series last week on Romans chapter 8. Eight weeks there in Romans chapter 8. And what is it? Romans chapter 8 may be the greatest chapter and the greatest letter and the greatest book in the history of the world. And certainly it is, we've already seen last week, it is full, it's robust, it's richly deep in doctrine, but at the ex- exact same time it's practical and applicable, it's hopeful, it's helpful, it's helpful. It's something for every one of us in the room this morning found in Romans chapter 8. So grab your Bible right now and find Romans in your New Testament. Find chapter 8, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Last week, we learned that only Jesus can give us real life. Only Jesus can unlock that for us and be that for us. Only Jesus can set us free from our sin and from the baggage and the brokenness and the struggles that we have with sin. Only Jesus can set us free from condemnation, from the penalty of sin. We found that in the promises in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, listen, set us free from the law of sin and death. And that tells us two things. It tells us, one, that Jesus sets us free from the penalty of our sins, the consequences, the condemnation for our sins. But at the same time, it also says something pretty powerful that I think we struggle to understand, it says that Jesus sets us free from the stronghold sins have over our life. That, that it breaks the stronghold, that de- sins in our life don't have a death grip on us anymore if we are in Christ. I do think we struggle with this. I think we struggle to experience this. This says that we should have a radical and absolutely changed experience if we're in Christ. But I think we struggle, and one of the reasons I think we struggle is because a lot of us, a lot of people, Reduce the gospel of Jesus to a gospel of just sin management, meaning that what Jesus did is he managed my sin on the cross. He did that one time, and now I have the golden ticket. I have the golden ticket that sets me free from condemnation, the golden ticket to be in heaven one day. But what does Jesus, what does the gospel have to do with real life stuff, like growing up Growing up and, and answering the, the, I mean, so many problems that we're facing in the world. What does gospel have to do with that? What does Jesus have to do with that? What does Jesus have to do with me and having a job? Like I know I'm supposed to be nice and be loving and be kind and things, but, but I'm a civil servant, I'm a teacher, I'm a, in the medical profession, I'm, a, I'm a, an IT guy, I'm an engineer, I'm a lawyer. What does the gospel have to do with me getting up tomorrow morning and going and doing the list of things that I have to do to accomplish my job? What does Jesus have to do with my mental health and the struggles that I have with mental health? What does Jesus have to do with the metaverse? This world, this virtual world that's being built for us all to escape into, like we gave up on going to Mars to live our next life. We're just going to live it in the virtual world, I guess. What does Jesus, what does the gospel have to do with all of this kind of stuff? And I love what Tim Keller said that applies here. He said the gospel of Jesus isn't simply the ABCs of Christianity, like the the basics, but it's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel of Jesus is the answer to everything that we're going to face in this life. And I can say it, and it sounds like a very nice pastoral statement, but we're going to see this over the next several weeks. We're going to see how and by what means When we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ where we've placed the weight of our life on him, how we then are supplied with everything that we would ever need for life and to have a satisfying and full and richly rewarding life that's meaningful and that honors God. And we're going to look at that today. And I wonder if you've you've ever asked the question, like, what's the key to the Christian life? Like I read this and there's all of this stuff that seems to be a part of of the Christian life. Well, how exactly do we go about living the Christian life? And today what we're gonna find and hear this is that the key to following Jesus isn't about rowing hard, but it's about raising a sail to catch the fresh wind of God's Spirit. That's the key. And the the question then comes, because that's a real flowery statement, what on earth does that mean? And and how do we do this? How do we raise sails and what do we mean by the fresh wind of God's spirit? And we're going to begin to look at that today and answer it over the next several weeks. What does the gospel have to do with like how I view myself and how I view my family and my job and, and the problems I face? How does this catching the wind of the Spirit, this poetic kind of language, how does that help me at all with the things that I have to face in 2022? We'll start today, and we'll answer it over the next several weeks. So we're going to read Romans 8. Before we pick up in verse 5, I want to remind you, Paul is the one who wrote this letter to the Romans, and Paul was a guy, before he followed Christ, who spent his entire life rowing. As hard as he could, and Paul was very good at rowing. He was the captain of the row team. If rowing means trying really hard to follow the rules and be the right guy with the right answers and the right stuff, to be really smart and to be bold and powerful, Paul was really, really good at it. The captain of the rowing team. But he came to a point where he realized that he could never put it all together. He could never keep it all together, but he needed God to do it for him and do it in him. He needed to learn to trust God and to just catch the wind of what God was doing. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 5. I want you to pick this up with me. Paul writes, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. And I want you to notice there's a contrast between two people here. There's a a person who who is not a Christian, who has not come to the place where they said, I'm done trying to prove my worth. I'm, I'm placing all of my value, all of my worth. I'm defining myself by a relationship I have with Jesus, where he has paid the price for my sins and he leads my life. And there's a person who has not come to that moment yet. There's a person who has the Holy Spirit Leading and guiding in their lives. And then there's the person who it's just them on their own. And this is the way he talks about it. He says, one has a mind set on the things of the flesh. And the other has a mind set on the things of the spirit. Listen to this in another translation. This is in the NIV. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires And those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you have only the capacity to take one thing away from today, that's it. You're fried, you're done, it's 25 degrees in in, in here and out there. There's one thing that you can carry with you, take this with you. Where your mind sets the most, this is where we end up in our lives. You follow me? Where the mind sets the most, this is where we end up in our lives. I want to make sure you get that, so say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Where the mind sets the most, this is where we end up in our lives. In other words, whatever has captivated our, our mind and our heart, whatever we, we are contemplating on, whatever has our affections, will guide and direct everywhere we go in our lives, And this is what Paul is saying in verse 5. It's one of the things that he's saying. There's two verbs, set and live. Paul says we live in accordance with where we have set our minds. And that is like the, the Twitter or the Instagram stories version of the sermon. And so if that's all you had, you got it, you're done. But there are much deeper implications here also. So I hope you'll hang with me. If you are a a Christian today, what that means is that there was a time where you lived in the flesh and you set your mind on the things of the flesh. But there was a moment, a defining moment, a redefining moment in your life where that changed and your allegiances changed and your way of thinking changed. And it marked the beginning of a new life in which you have a new kind of relationship with God by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it could have been this moment when you were, like me, seven years old, and suddenly in some radical way, not because you were smart or, or, you know, really paying that close attention, but somehow by the power of God, his greatness, his goodness, and his love for you began to make sense to you and begin to mean something to you when it was told to you. Or it could have been at any age in your life, at 17, at 24, at 31, at 52, whenever when you had this moment where there was a shift, where before the things of God, church, reading the Bible, praying, all of these things didn't make a whole lot of sense and didn't seem that interesting to you. Maybe they were even a little boring, and you're like, I don't, I don't get it, and I don't want to get it. But then something changed, and it began to mean something to you, and it began to be the stuff that you build your, your life on. Well, what happened to change the mind? What happened to change the mind is that a Christian is the person who comes to believe, and not just in an an intellectual way, all of the things that are promised in verses 1 through 4. To believe only in an intellectual way is to to go, um, I believe that George Washington is the first president of the United States. You go, absolutely, I believe that. Does it change anything about my life that he was or wasn't? No, not at all. I don't care. But to believe on Christ is much more than intellectually assenting to the concept of of what verses one through four promise. It's to place the weight of my life on that, to say I believe with all of the the victory or failure of my life laying upon that being true, that I could not do what needed to be done to hold it all together and keep it all together. And what verse three said was, so God did it by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus didn't sin, but he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh And so my sins, my brokenness, my weakness, my struggles were placed upon him in that he received the condemnation in his body that my sins deserved. The Christian comes to a place where they believe that with their life. Or as Tim Keller describes it in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, great book by the way. He said... We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Christian comes to that place in their life. For the Christian, the good news of what Jesus did becomes good news indeed. Because it's something that actually affects them, it changes them, it redefines how they view themselves, how they view God, how they view the world at large, because it is good news for them, and it results in a total transformation of the mind. Paul uses this phrase, it says, set their minds on. Say set say it with me, ready, set their minds on. Typical Pauline phrase. He uses it a lot when he writes, and when he uses this phrase, he doesn't mean just I think differently. It's not simply my mind has a different filter through which it thinks. It's holistic in nature. It's the the very core of who I am has had a transformation and is being transformed. It's the way you think. It's the way you choose if given the opportunity to choose. It's the things you desire. It's the things you have interest in. It's the things that, that drive your ambitions. It's the very core of your heart. That's what, what Paul is meaning. It's about new beliefs that lead to new affections that create new ways of thinking and living no matter what you're doing in whatever season you're in in life. That's what Paul means when he says, set their minds on. Everything changes. Everything changes when you are in Christ. And the question that that brings is, is this. It's, has that really happened for you? Have you, you come to like this redefining moment in your life where you go, I'm not going to row anymore because the rowing doesn't get me there, but instead I'm going to trust in the one who came for me, died for me, took the consequences of my sin for me, and promises to give me everything that I need for life in this world. And you know, Paul says that there are really only two ways. or are here. Two ways to live in this world. There are 4,000 recognized world religions right now, uh, career planner, or planner yeah, careerplanner.com, I think is what the site I looked at, has over 12,000 career paths that you may choose. Enneagram says that there are nine types uh, of, of people in the world, nine core personality types that describes how you, you're motivated and how you interact with others, and it defines who you are, right? 4,000, 9, but the Bible says there are only really two ways that a person can live in a core and fundamental way in their life. It's in verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, say death, death, but the mind set on the spirit is, say it with me, life and peace. Why? Well, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. In other words, If I'm a person who says, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go my way. I've got this figured out. God, I really don't need help on this one. I can handle it on my own. This says that's the same thing as being at war with God. That's what this says. It's not my opinion. I'm reading this. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Why? For it doesn't subject itself to the law of God. For it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there are two, two, say two, two core fundamental ways that a human being can live. They can live in the flesh or they can live in the spirit. And I want to give you three passages in case I'm not convincing enough in this moment. Three passages for you to study this week and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand this concept on a, on a deeper level, to understand how you might view yourself or view God or view the problems that you face, to view all of it through one of these two core fundamental ways to live. Here's your three passages Romans 5, 18, and 19. You can take a picture of these or write them down. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, and 22. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Right? give you just a second to grab a picture of that. I'll let you study those this week, but I'll read them quickly to make sure we we cover our bases here. I'll start with Romans 5. I'll just read verse 19. It says, for as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We're talking about the Garden of Eden. We're talking about Adam and Eve here. We're talking about humanity set the course for humanity to continue walking in sin, to be consumed with sin, to have sin marked every moment and every day of our, our lives. Even so, through the obedience of the one... And I hope your Bible translation capitalizes the the personal pronouns for God because it's really helpful. This isn't for, uh, it doesn't say for the obedience of someone, this is through the obedience of the one. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Romans 8, 3 kind of stuff. Through his obedience, the many will be made righteous, that his righteousness will be afforded to them because of the work that he did on the cross and because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he promised would come to help us. That's the first passage you'll study this week. The second one is 1 Corinthians 15. I'll just read verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see, it's the same contrast there. There's a a question implied, am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Because it's this or that. Two ways fundamentally to live. And here's the third one. Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1, and you were once dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, you lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. It's one way, the other way. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were still making mistakes, even when we were stru- still struggling with sin and brokenness in our life, even then, not after we cleaned it up and after we got it all right, not after we earned the right to have Jesus in our lives, but while we were in the muck of our own mess, he came and he made us alive together with Christ. So, with salvation, comes an entirely new existence, right? Two ways to live. One is apart from Christ. I'm rowing, 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 just trying as much as I can, but it's just me. And the other one, in Christ, a new existence, a new way to live, a new way to believe, a new way to, to, to love, to care, a new way to think, a new way to act in this life. Does that make us perfect? No, it does not make us perfect at all. We struggle. I'm on the struggle bus every day. Right, I've seen some of you there with me. I'm not pointing at anybody, but we're on the same bus. right? We struggle, we fail. We're like Paul in Romans 7. Don't worry, we get good company here. Romans 7, Paul said, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And we talked about that last week extensively. And I want to remind you of the phrase we ended on. It's a weird phrase. It, It does not sound right to our ears at all. But we said at the end of last Sunday, we said that until Christ returns, those of us who are in Christ might consider ourselves simply to be righteous sinners. And it doesn't sound right. It's hard to conceive of what that means, but we look at Paul, and in Romans 7, in verse 18 and 20, he says, sin dwells in me. And then in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, he goes, but there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 25, he says, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. It's present, it's actively, it's not I want, it's I I struggle right now. You might remember 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says, there is a trustworthy saying. You can count on this. You can believe in this. This is the truth that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. And when he says I am, It is, in the Greek, in the passive, uh, in the the present, no, sorry, in the present, the active and the indicative tense. He's not saying, I I used to be or, you know, I I was once. He says, I am the worst of sinners, presently and actively, and yet I am free from sin and I have been made alive in Christ. I'm a saint. I'm I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. Which is it? It's both and until Jesus returns. And it doesn't settle well with this. We struggle with that concept. How is it that I can be a righteous sinner? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, I mean, maybe the best of the best when it comes to, to writing commentary on Romans chapter 8, helped by explaining it this way. He said the difference between an unbeliever sinning, it's one way to live, and a Christian sinning, struggling with sin, it's another way to live. The difference is like the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state And, listen, a husband who has done something he should not do in relationship with his wife, he's not breaking the law, but hear this, he's wounding the heart of his wife. You get that? You get that? I think that helps us to understand that place of being a righteous sinner. Apart from Christ, I'm just breaking the law and consequences will fall on me. In Christ, the consequences have been paid. I struggle. I'm on the struggle bus, but Christ is with me, and when I sin, when I struggle, I'm not going to be banished from from God's presence. I'm not going to have to go and fix my problem. It's been fixed. What am I going to do? I'm going to contemplate. I'm going to understand this deep love with which God has loved me has been trampled on, right? So how do I know where I am? How do you know where you are? Are you in Christ? Are you you in in Adam? Are you in the Spirit? Are you in the flesh? Which one applies to you? How do you know? Verse nine. However, this is gonna help to answer that question for you. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. That's how you know. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What's this say? It says there's two ways to live. One, it's just you. You're living and it's just you. You have to decide what to do. You have to choose. You have ambitions. You have actions. And you are on your own to figure out life. And you're rowing, 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 rowing your boat. Or there is the spirit of God who dwells in you. Right? Two ways. this says declaratively, definitively, big honking exclamation point on the end, it says, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, it's not optional. It's not like you earn him or, you know, you get a little closer to him. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And Paul would say then that the amount of spiritual power that you're experiencing in your life has nothing to do with how hard you're rowing, but everything to do with what your mind is set on and if your mind is set on the Spirit. Other translations of this verse maybe that you're reading there may say that your mind instead of set on is controlled by the Spirit, or if your mind is governed by the Spirit. And the question is, are you in fellowship with Him? Are you in communion with Him? Are you dwelling on and taking delight in the things that please Him? Are you participating in those things? Is your mind set on, governed by, controlled by the Holy Spirit, or or are you... Are you grieving him? That's the alternative. What are his things? You know, realize this doesn't just say that we're to have our minds set on the Spirit, but it says, verse 5, those who are according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. A lot of people, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, think the Holy Spirit's like a force in this world. And people will say, well, I didn't know what to do, but then the light shone through the window, and it made this little arc, and then the light landed right on this thing on my desk, and I went, aha, I'm supposed to go to the Caribbean. Because, you know, the way the, that's it. The force, the Holy Spirit, it's like Star Wars, the forces is controlling every move. That is not the Holy Spirit. He's not a force. He's a person. That's important for us to understand today because I think a lot of people, when it comes to sin and struggle in their life and, and, and they see these words, have your mind set on the spirit, don't know what to do with it. Like, how do I just go, I'm struggling, Holy Spirit, Holy... There's this lady on TV that showed me this. This is how she interpreted the verse. Check it out. China, you need 16 points to win. Okay. I'm gonna ask you the same five questions you can... Hold ad- on. Okay. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit, no. Oh, activate. No. Oh, no. Holy Spirit, activate, activate, activate. Ooh. All right, let's go. Let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Holy Spirit, activate. activate. Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit, activate. I said, okay. Activate. Woo! Nice. Come on, you All can right. do this. Think Hallelujah. about next time you're down at the DMV, Holy Spirit, activate. <laughs> <laughs> About the time you're sitting up there taking a test you ain't studied for. Holy Spirit, (laughs) activate. Come on. I mean, this lady must have have interpreted. Oh, there we go again. I mean, Holy Spirit, (laughs) (laughs) activate. We're tempted to this, though, just like her. We have a moment of struggle. We don't know what to do. We know we're about to be put to the test of the challenge. We're like, mm, Holy Spirit, is it just speaking His name? Is it feeling something coming forth from us suddenly, magically? No. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's a person to be in relationship with. And verse five says there's things He loves, things He delights in. He has things. And we're to set our mind on His things. So, what are His things? Here's three passages. Take a look at these this week John 16, 5 through 15. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Philippians 4, 8. It's going to talk about his things. I'll hit them quickly. First one is is John 16, 5 through 15. I'll just read a little bit of it. This is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come, and he talks about the things that the Holy Spirit loves. Verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He loves the truth. He's the spirit of truth. He loves to tell the truth which is a wonderful thing in a day and age where like, we don't know if there even is truth. People say, what is truth? Is there truth? Well, it's a good thing. There's a spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit loves the truth and he loves to guide you in it. Verse 14, Jesus says, and he will glorify me for he will take what's mine and he will disclose it to you. The desire of the Holy Spirit is to tell the truth and to glorify and honor Jesus. He loves to do these things and one way he does that is by revealing to us All of the things that are possible to us and for us in Christ. He loves to tell you the truth about it and he loves to honor and glorify Jesus by helping you to live an abundant life. Here's the second one. Galatians 5, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And verse 19 describes the deeds of the flesh. Then verse 22, Patrick preached this on January 2nd this year. You can go back and listen to that. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what he loves. He loves love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what God the Holy Spirit loves. He's a person. He loves the truth. He loves to help you to experience the things of Christ and to glorify Christ in it. And he loves to bear much fruit in your life. These are the things that he loves. And when we set our mind on these things, what he does is he begins to produce outwardly the things that Christ has planted inwardly in our life. Here's the third one, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. In other words, set your mind on these things. In other words, live your life in these things. So let me ask the question, what do you think about when you're not really thinking about anything else? What kinds of things are you thinking about when you're not really thinking about anything else? When you Think about yourself, when you think about relationships you have, when you consider where you're going to go today or when you watch the news, what kinds of things are controlling your perspective and your heart's movement in, in the direction of those things. In, in choosing, When it's up to you and no one or very few people would know what to choose, what do you choose? When it comes to your ambitions, what are your deepest ambitions? When it comes to the things that you desire, what are the deepest desires of your heart? In your interests, what are your interests? If it's two options, if it's mindset on the flesh or mindset on the spirit, is it to feed the things that temporarily satisfy me? Is it to accumulate? Is it to try to row harder, push further, improve myself? Or is it to rest in, what this said, life and peace, which comes by having my mind set on the things that the Holy Spirit loves? Paul's saying we live according to where our minds are set, or what we said earlier, where our mind sets the most, that's where we end up in our lives. And what he's given us is a diagnostic, whereby we can understand where we stand and and what's controlling the course and direction of our life. What is the the controlling power of our life, the mechanism by which we make decisions in our life? Are we people who walk in the flesh with our minds set on the flesh or people who walk in the Spirit with our minds set on the Spirit? Are we people who we're in the driver's seat of our life or we've given the keys to someone else to be in the driver's seat of our life? Are we people who walk in the Holy Spirit? And if you do that diagnostic test and you, you find that, yeah, my mind is consumed with the things of the Spirit, I love the things He loves, and it drives me, and I can see it transforming my life in front of me, praise God, many much more do it, <laughs> right? But what if not? What if if you begin to look and you go, no, I I, I believe that maybe my mind has been set on, it's controlled by, it's governed by, the things of the flesh, and it's feeding the things that the flesh desires most, which are temporary and not satisfying at all. What do we do? Ephesians 1 helps. In him, in Jesus, you also, after having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you are sealed in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise who has given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, what does this say? This tells us that if, if, if we want more of the Spirit, if we want to have our minds set on the Spirit, we go back to the gospel, right? Right? If you go, my mind has been set in the wrong place and I can see how it's steering me in the wrong directions, how do I get my mind going in the right direction? How do I get lined up with the Holy Spirit? Well, again and again and again, you go back to the gospel again and again and again back to the gospel. In other words, the life led by the Spirit is the life that never graduates from the gospel. You don't, you don't like, oh, I got the first things and now, you know, I'm leaving it behind. No, you go deeper and deeper into the implications and applications of the gospel, into every facet of your life and every new trouble that comes your way. Or as C.S. Lewis said in Narnia, it's further up and further in to the gospel and all of its implications, and all of its applications, each and every day of your life. Listen to verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, in your days now, in the chaos that we're facing in 2022, in the chaos of our world, our nation, our city, in your personal chaos in your personal struggles and mine, though our mortal bodies are dying, our spirit is being made alive. Life, light, truth, grace, and power will be given to you through his spirit who dwells in you. You hear that? Three things I want you to remember in response to this text today. Three things. First, becoming a Christian is surrender to a person. You follow me? Becoming a Christian is surrender to a person. And I tell you this because as a pastor, I hear a lot of people who show up and and they say, hey, I'm here because I I need to get right with God, I need to get back to God, and and really truly what they mean is, I've got some things going on in my life, and and they seem too much for me to handle or i don't know to if i should go right or left or i'm struggling with something and what i need is some kind of spiritual salve over my hurts i need some kind of spiritual balm to to bring some comfort to me what i need and some people are going i just need some kind of religious self-improvement plan so that i can make it through this thing i'm not indicting like we all have have clung to that at moments but i need you to understand That Christianity, becoming a Christian at its heart, at its soul, at its base, is surrender—not to a program, not to a function, not to a set of virtues. It's surrender to a a person. That's what Christianity is. Christianity, plain and simple, is that. And this person is a person who's loved you perfectly, who's holy and just and right and righteous, who's full of grace, full of compassion, because he came in the flesh. He's full of empathy. And he died for your sins. He took on already the condemnation for your sins. And so you're not surrendering to this unknown being who, which way is it gonna go? He's already proven which way it's going to go. The love of God was defined on the cross. That's why every time, every time we read in the Bible that we were, the, the word love and we're meant to understand the word love, it's pointing again and again to the gospel because that's where God says, this is what my love is. This is my character. This is who I am. So we're being we're coming to a place of surrender to this person, and the nature of that surrender is total. It's, it's complete. He doesn't suggest the way to abundant life. Jesus is abundant life and you receive him. The Holy Spirit doesn't suggest, well, you should maybe go this way. This is what I was thinking today. No, your mind is set on him, controlled by him, governed by him. And when it is, what did verse 5 promise? He leads you into not death, but life and peace that's the promise you surrender to him and he leads you into life and peace becoming a christian is surrender to a person second thing i want you to remember the christian life is not gradual self-improvement it is fellowship with the spirit all right the christian life is not about gradual self-improvement it's about life and fellowship with the spirit and this is a game changer because you and I are used to viewing our lives through the lens of, of self-improvement. How am I doing? Am I better than I once was? Am I worse than I once was? Am I righteous? Well, what have I done lately, right? Am I a bad sinner? How bad are my sins? Well, how bad are the consequences of my sins? Have I been caught yet? Is it affected me in some adverse way? Is it affecting other people around me? That's how I judge my sins. Am I righteous? What have I done? Am I sinful? Well, how bad is it? And that makes sense because every world religion uh, preaches that. Do you understand that? Every world religion outside of Christianity preaches that. Self-improvement is the way to life and peace. Christianity does not. Christianity says, I could never do it. I could never put it all together. I could never keep it all together. So God did it. Jesus came and did it. It's different. Christian life isn't gradual self improvement, it's life in fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. Third thing I want you to remember if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you have God's help and power at work in you, even when you feel low, even when you feel distant from God, even when you go, I feel like I haven't heard a word from God in a while even then you have the fullness of God's presence with you. God, the Holy Spirit, is fully God and always at work in your life. Even when I'm still frustrated about my personal struggles, even when I'm really confused about how to face this new idea, this new challenge in my life or in society today, and I don't know which way should I go. Do I go left on this? Do I go right on this? Do I go up on this? Do I go down on this? I'm afraid if I say anything at all, people are going to hate me on every side. I don't know what to do. Even in those moments when I am utterly confused and feeling low and downtrodden, The Holy Spirit, who is fully God, is at work within you, producing righteousness in your heart now, seeking, desiring to produce outwardly what Christ has planted inwardly. And what that means is if I'm struggling with some sin, that sin is not the end of my story. What that means is if you are exhausted and depleted and feel like there is no good left within, well, yeah, there is. There's God within. God, the Holy Spirit, is within you, renewing you. Verse 10, the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. You have God's help and power at work in your life, even when you feel low. So, quit rowing. Quit rowing. How do you raise the sail Set your mind on the things the Holy Spirit loves. This is part one, part two next week, part three. We'll keep going to understand more and more of the implications and the applications of this, but we have to hoist the sail. Catch the fresh wind of God's Spirit. These are three things I want you to always remember and never forget about this text, but it all starts with this. You receiving, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It starts with that. What he has done to give you freedom, you receiving that from him. And if you've never done that before and you find yourself still rowing, sweating and rowing, you can do that even today. You can do that even today. Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Can I pray for us now? God, we come today and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word is good. It's good for us. I pray that you would help us to believe where we struggle to believe. Not that our minds simply would assent and agree to something that we've you know, said, ah, fine, I'll believe that. But that we would place the weight of our life on the things that you have said and done and that we would find that that was a good decision. Would you help us where we struggle to believe? For anyone who's here today who finds themselves in the trap of rowing to prove their worth, rowing to prove their value in this world, rowing to prove who they are, would you help them to set down the oar? And in some way that can only be defined by your presence and your power that they would feel, metaphorically, a spiritual wind blowing across their life and the sweetness of it, and the coolness of it would bring calm and life and peace. And that belief would create in them new affections. Their heart would break for the things that break your heart their heart would leap for the things that you love. Which will create in them a whole new way to live. A way that would glorify you. And it would result in life and peace for them. That's you here this morning. and This is your day. This is your day to put down the word. Right where you are silently in your head, you might just speak to God and Sounds daunting, sounds scary But he invites you to come And you can just say, Lord, I'm tired of rowing I want to believe, I choose to believe I must believe The gospel of Jesus That you came for me You love me in spite of myself And that Jesus, you died So that the sins of my life Would be paid for And you rose that I could have life in you. And this is your day. And I pray in this moment that you would catch the wind of what comes with salvation. And for the Christians in this room, Father, would you call their hearts to you, their minds, their eyes, their hearts to the things that you love, Holy Spirit, to glorifying Christ, to telling the truth. Would you make us a people who are so marked by it that it's unmistakable where we go. There's two ways to live, and I'm living this way, and people will know it. Why? Because I desperately want to glorify you, and I desperately want them to experience the freedom and the grace that I've received. So thank you that you've provided for us life, life abundant, and the way for that. In Jesus' name.